welcome to the Artist Appeals. This is Erin Sparler and I'm your host. In the Artist Appeals, we interview artists, crafters, photographers, and business professionals about the business of art. I hope you'll join us and enjoy the show. In today's episode of the Artist Appeals, we talk with Joe Packham. Joe Packham is an amazing woman and sweet to boot. She's the creator and editor-in-chief of four gorgeous, inspiring magazines, Where Women Create, Where Women Cook, Where Women Work, and What Women Create. And her latest issue of Where Women Work has AR, or augmented reality, on the cover. It's so cool. you got to check it out. She's been publishing titles, books, and different things in the craft field for over 35 years. So I hope you'll join us today as we talk to Joe Packham. Welcome. Now, Joe, I want to just start out real quick and make sure that I'm saying your last name right. Is it Packham? It is. Because it has an H in it? It does. That's perfect. Yes. Fabulous. You know, I want to start out just real quickly with a little bit about your backstory and where you came from and what you were doing before you started the Creative Connection. You know, I read online that you began your career with the Vanessa Ann collection (laughs) and that you did some paperback how-tos. And, you know, I wanted to clarify, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Oh my gosh. So that was 43 years ago, right? I mean, that was a long time ago. (laughs) But yes, yes, I started with paperback publications when cross-stitch first hit the U.S. when um, Gloria and Pat started doing cross-stitch, and it was so popular, and I owned a retail store, and um, I decided there was more money in wholesaling than retailing, so I'd never been in publishing, but um, I learned from the ground up and had a partner, and we Mm -hmm. started with four cross-stitch books, and they were those paper-bound, $4.50, 24-page booklets that were so popular in those days. And we were in the right place at the right time with a new product. And it was crazy time. I mean, we sold millions, literally millions of cross-stitch wow. booklets. So that was I think I've done some of those. <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you transitioned from that, from a retail store, craft store into publishing. And and I noticed that you had two publishing companies, plural, plural publishing companies, a Chappelle Limited and a WWC Press. Is that right? That is correct. Um, I went when we, we started with the Vanessa Ann collection and then the bottom fell out like it does in every market. It's like when you produce that much product in that short a period of time, pretty soon the market becomes glutted. And one morning we woke up and it was just over. And so mm. I went to um, I went to New York and met with um, Better Homes and Gardens, and then I went to Birmingham and met with Oxmoor House, and we became what was called a full line packager. And what that yeah, means, what does that mean? It's like it's it's as if you wanted to publish a book. I, I did only how to instructional books. So if you mm-hmm. wanted to publish a book on home decorating, gardening, knitting and you didn't know how to go about it, then we would sell your manuscript to a publisher. 
We would help you write it, edit it, photograph it, lay it out. We would be the full package. And you would get paid for that. And then you would also get a royalty on the book. And the publishers would pay us, would pay my publishing company, which was Chappelle Limited, different mm-hmm. under a different format because then they didn't have to have um, in-house staff, right? So mm. um, we produced, in the beginning, we produced between... 30 and 40 books a year. And then towards the end, we went to over almost 100 books a year. So we were producing a hardbound book every three days. I had a huge staff. And then Mm -hmm. when I, um, when we, Sterling was my main uh, publisher that I worked with. Mm -hmm. I always worked for lots of different publishers, but Sterling was my number one. And that was a a gig for about 17 years. And then Sterling sold to Barnes and Noble. And Mm -hmm. so I stopped doing that for a while because the, it was just a different business model that I'm not a real big corporate gal. I'm kind Mm -hmm. of a privately owned company gal. And so Sterling was privately owned. And when they sold to Barnes and Noble, they're just too big for me. So then Mm. I um, stopped Chappelle because I had over a thousand titles under the Chappelle Publishing Company, and I started WWC Press, and I published a series of books for craft companies like Sizzix and some of my own and um, the magazine. We did books for um, under the magazine imprint, and that was under WWC Press. So, um, And now I'm just doing magazines because I like magazines so much better than books. Their um, books take a year to produce, and the people who write them are really excited in the beginning and then really not excited by the (laughs) end, and and they want to change everything, and, you know, it's just such a tedious process, where in magazines, you know, you have um, someone like you that we would feature, and sometimes I fly in for the photo shoot, and it takes you three or four hours to write your copy and we have lunch and it's over. And so it just is <laughs> gratification. Yes, exactly. And after 43 years, I mean, I'm just going to choose to do, I'm 70 years old. So mm-hmm. um, I just choose to do what I want to do this time. That's, around. that's fabulous. That's fabulous. Can you talk a little bit about how that kind of partnering process works? So you said your biggest partner was Sterling Publishers, but I saw that you also have partnered with Vogue Knitting, Mary Jane Farms, McDonald's, and Starbucks. Um, like, how does that work, that type of partnership in this industry? Well, when we did um, the Creative Connection, I worked with Nancy Seriano, who was the past editor-in-chief of Country Living, and Nancy is a genius at events. Um, that's something I had never done before the creative connection. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of in charge of that part of it. And, mm. um, but we needed sponsors. So we also partnered with. So those were the sponsors for your event. Yes. They um, were. That you used to host. Right. Maybe we should back up a little bit and talk about that event and that transition into the event. So what was the impetus for you guys to start? essentially a conference. So you, you started a publishing, I mean, first you were in real tell, right? Correct. And then you became a publisher and then you became almost like a book manufacturer. And then you started this huge event. Can you talk about this 
what was was there a moment in time or a crisis or somebody said to you you should do this that you remember and being like oh yeah I should and and taking that leap of faith well it was Nancy actually when Nancy when <laughs> blames um, all on Nancy yeah I'm gonna blame it all on Nancy when um Hearst changed their format when Nancy Black uh, the president of Hearst decided to change their format Nancy had been the editor-in-chief of Country Living for like 13 years, and Mm -hmm. they replaced her. It was one of those situations where they brought somebody in new at a much lower salary, right, Mm -hmm. trying to cut costs. And so Nancy and I had been friends, were friends, and we met at an event, and um, Jen O'Connor's actually soiree in upstate New York, um, Earth Angels studio and we were sitting at lunch and I said to Nancy so what are you going to do and she said I don't know and I said well you know whatever you want to do she was down she it was you know that was a hard hard to thing to lose and so she had established the country living fair for country living so she was a genius at events Mm. and conferences so I said to her I'll help you I won't plan it but I'll help you and I'll advertise it in the magazines. And there's a million things we can do to work together. And then through a series of circumstances, the first year, Nancy and I put it on together by ourselves. Wow. And it was a big deal. Then the second year, um, Barnes & Noble, because I was uh, packaging books for them, became our head sponsor and that's when we brought in, um, we were, Barnes and Noble wanted to be so much bigger. So we brought in McDonald's as a sponsor and Starbucks as a sponsor. And then because Barnes and Noble wanted it to be even larger than what Nancy and I could put on, then that's when I went to Mary Jane's farm and to Vogue Knitting and, um, the, one of the blogging, uh, companies. And so we each took a segment and put on like, five mini conferences that were all under one header so that you could choose which of the classes you wanted to go to under which, um, you know, header or which company you wanted to be aligned with. Yeah. And that was blog her, right? Correct. (laughs) I like that name blog her. There's one of the, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's all right. There's something underlying that, that is just, amusing and great. I love that. They were one of the very first, very large blogging companies who um, worked with the bloggers and they to help them sell advertising on their blogs. Um, mm-hmm. Blogger was just really, really big in those days. And so they had a lot of connections. They were the, actually the ones who brought in um, McDonald's. Oh, wow. So yeah, it was, it was fabulous. But uh, what I learned after all of that is that I am not a, a convention planner. That is not in my wheelhouse. That was just, you know, some people love that and thrive on that kind of chaos. And mm. that just is not me. So after the second year, I we stopped uh, the creative mm-hmm. connection. And um, Nancy is now working with West Elm. And I started doing magazines, and so, you know, everybody kind of finds their niche where they're the happiest. Yeah, well, it sounds like it could be very exhausting. If you're not an extrovert who really gets off on all the moving pieces, there's a lot of moving pieces um, for that that type of thing. 
Yeah, we had 800 attendees, and I don't even know how many teachers and rooms I can't remember anymore. It was um, it was insane, and we brought our teachers in from around the world, which of course made everything a little bit more complicated. And I was just and one of the things we did though, it was way back when, and we did we were one of the first in small conferences to do like pitch slams, like a mini Shark Tank. And oh. so we brought in, um, everybody had to um, send in before the conference to be approved. And we gave everybody five minutes. And we had the top four editor in chiefs of the publishing companies of craft books. And we mm-hmm. had the top four buyers for the um, like Midwest and um, Creative Co op, the uh, manufacturers. And we had. Um, some of the top writers we had we had four pitch slams and we pitched all day and at the end I think that there were 155 deals made through our wow. pitch slams and it was a big deal I mean everybody yeah. was really really excited but um, getting all those experts there and all those people from those huge companies and arranging those pitch slams I mean because yeah. everybody had to have them in beforehand so you could the um, experts could review them and it was just I was in way over my head (laughs) that's you know that's phenomenal though what a great concept and I could see that working nowadays on the tv you know that could be a whole new series (laughs) yes yes it would so not only do you have experience in publishing but you also have hands-on experience with running a craft business, uh, uh, boutiques and retail you had, you started three, three different upscale boutiques uh, between 2000 and 2005, Ruby and Begonia, the White Fig and Olive and Dahlia, correct? Correct. You have done your homework. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm good like that. (laughs) Well, what happened was um, because we were producing so many books a year. Um, We were doing all the photography. I owned a building that was just a photo studio. And my daughter came to work with us. And after about a year, she decided that publishing was not her gig. How old was she she at the time? uh, About, she had her master's degree. So she was about 24, maybe. And Mm -hmm. um, so she decided that we should open retail stores. Well, I personally hate retail stores, but what <laughs> happened was we partnered because she's a genius at it or was, she's not, she doesn't do that anymore. But what it allowed us to do was after a year of photography, we would spend tens of thousands of dollars on photography props. And then at the end of the year, we'd have this big warehouse sale, right? And that oh. was a nightmare in and of itself. So when Sarah opened the stores, and I partnered with her. What we did was we would do the, we built the stores. So there was a big photo studio in the back. And so we oh. would use all the, all the inventory in the stores as our props. And then yeah. we would sell them as inventory. And then we could also buy all of the artwork from the women that we were doing books for so that we were supporting them and helping sell. So and then when we opened the stores, it was Ruby and Begonia was a high-end gift shop, which was really nice and um, gifty. And then the um, Olive the and Dahlia. Fig? Okay. The, well, Olive and, Olive and Dahlia was the, um, it was like a garden store, an outdoor store, mm. and, and it had an, a florist in there. 
And so it was like, we targeted, because in Utah, there are so many people getting married. Our target Mm. audience was kinds of brides. So you could buy your gifts there. They could have their flowers made there. And then everything that we couldn't sell in Ruby and Begonia and the um, Olive and Dahlia, we would make gift baskets and put them together and sell them through the White Fig, which was a gift basket company. And then we uh, partnered with most of the corporations in town and did all their Christmas gifts and everything because they were so beautiful. And each one was different because we took the inventory out of the stores that wouldn't sell. What a brilliant system. I mean, it's almost like recycling of retail. It's it's brilliant. I love the way <laughs> it's like a trickle-down effect that all rolls together. Um, that's, that's just great. That's so cool. And what great advice for people to look at as well um, with creating different tiers and different markets for your product and, and uh, positioning them differently. Well, exactly. Because what I learned early on in my career is that you have to have multiple platforms. You have got yes. to be able to make money in several different areas. But what you have to be very careful of is to make sure that the areas are all connected so that when you're working on one mm. area, you're actually working on six areas, right? Instead mm. of doing, for example, instead of doing the retail stores and then getting into real estate or something like that, because real estate takes you away from the retail stores, but the retail stores were so tied into the publishing and then they were so tied into each other and then they promoted each other and supported each other. So when I worked on one, I was working on the mall because when we bought product for the retail stores, it, they were the props that we needed for some of the books that were coming up. Right. And and it helps your brain to kind of synthesize that as well, I think. You know, that um, there's a concept right now of um, synthesizing being a, a polymath. And this idea of synthesizing three different topics to make yourself an expert, like the example goes, um, Dilbert, the creator of the cartoon Dilbert, he maybe wasn't the best artist, and maybe he wasn't the best humorist, the the best comedian, and maybe he wasn't the best engineer. But when you combine those three things together, you get the cartoon Dilbert about engineering and business, and and it's just hilarious. It it just has a whole (laughs) new bend, right? So Correct. you've got to synthesize multiple areas, but they've got to all interlink some way. So Absolutely. that is just brilliant. I love that. And so now what's up with Urban Studio? Okay, so um, I've been involved in my community from the beginning. And um, when I opened my businesses, I went in onto the Historic Street, Historic 25th Street in Ogden, And Sarah Mm -hmm. and I, with a couple of other business owners, I was actually the first business on 25th Street that you would consider legitimate, where everybody didn't have to come (laughs) in the back door. Yes, thank you. (laughs) And so um, our town had kind of taken a nosedive, and we got a mayor who was just a pit bull who had a vision like I had never seen. So Sarah and I and a couple of other young people worked really hard to... um, put together Ogden to rebuild downtown Ogden. So what happened was um, I've done several projects in downtown Ogden, but and I still own uh, one building. I sold a couple of them, but I still own one. And so what I decided now Ogden has grown to be, we have a, a vibrant downtown area on 25th Street. And so I decided to build 
a beautiful upscale event space that was um, private that has a commercial kitchen. And what I did it for was because a lot of the restaurants, all of our restaurants down here are small independents. And so they don't have a place for private parties and things like that. So the restaurants actually rent my space to have private Mm. parties. And then the chefs come in and teach cooking classes. And then when I have private events here of my own, then the chefs come in and are private chefs for my events. So I can have this beautiful event space that is not only profitable for me, but is a added bonus for the restaurants on the street and gives them an opportunity to have events that they wouldn't be able to have otherwise because of the limitations of owning a a restaurant. Yeah. I can really see the way everything has transitioned and played in together. I mean, your art and what you have created, your companies that you have created, have all really been about the product and segueing and and interlinking those things from retail and artist products to editorial and magazines and then into these presentations and conferences and then into the the retail again. It's like this loop. It's it's great. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. So, you know, that brings us to um, one of my questions about presentation. You strike me as just a master of presentation. And could you give our audience a tip or, you know, what is the best best advice or best lesson you ever learned about presenting artwork? You know, something that made it faster, easier, better. It sounds like you have some amazing systems with having a photo studio in the back of the retail shop and, and so forth and so on, what, what advice would you give or, or have you gotten? Um, I think I would tell people to, especially small entrepreneurs, is to do your homework and your research. You need to see what companies really large, the companies that you admire most who are cutting edge. And, it, and I don't... Um, I don't follow companies that are like publishers that do what I do because you don't want to copy what they're doing, right? You want to uh-huh. be inspired by it. But I follow things like the top restaurants in the, in the world and how they do oh. their menus and how they do their advertising and how they put together the insides of their buildings and all of that kind of stuff. Because what I believe is that we can learn if we will step outside of our own industry and look at what other industries are doing and what the top award winners and producers in those industries are doing, then, then they can teach us a bunch. And um, especially in upper-class sports, like some of the sailing magazines are magnificent, right? And some of the way they do their photography and their layouts. And so I think if if you are aware of all that's going on. Plus it's my passion. So it's easy. It's not like working 24 seven. It's, it's the relaxation I do Uh to see all the restaurants and which is why I started cook actually, because um, the food movement was coming on and where women cook. And I thought, Oh yeah, we need to do this. I can see it, but, but their products, how they do their typefaces on their products. I mean, all those kinds of things inspire the way we do the layouts in the magazines. Oh, I love that idea. So, you know, to summarize, you're basically saying look at other industries, top players to see 
how they're presenting things and get presentation ideas. And I, I love that. That's that polymath concept. <laughs> it is. It truly is because then it's not a me too kind of thing in your same industry. You're not doing what everybody else is doing. You're doing something that's totally different from your industry. And it changes just because you can't do it exactly like the restaurateurs do it. You have to adapt it to your own industry. So mm -hmm. it really is fairly original, right? Yeah. Inspired by, but not copied from, which, oh, like makes, yeah. which makes me crazy in this industry because we are supposed to be a creative industry that is filled with new ideas. And what I see is everybody knocking off everybody else. Mm. You know, they see somebody mm -hmm. have a good idea. And then within three months, it's just like the gift industry. Some small entrepreneur comes up with a great idea. And within three to six months, every big company has some kind of an adaptation of it. Mm -hmm. it, makes me, it just drives me wild. Yeah. So educating, educating your audience to the benefits of craft and artwork and your work is essential, but it can be really hard, especially for the beginning entrepreneur, crafter. What kind of activities would you suggest or do you do to educate and communicate with your audiences? Have you got some advice there that you could share with us? Again, it's, I think it's that partnering thing. I mean, my one quest in life is to educate the public on the value of handmade. Um, mm -hmm. Because what, what you see is you go to the craft shows and the farmer's markets and people stand there and say, oh, I could make this. Or, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's charging so much for this, right? And they uh, don't understand how long it took to get to that point. I went to India for a month, and I was so horrified cool. by the fact that those artisans, those truly talented, gifted, beautiful artisans, were sitting on a floor getting paid 10 cents an hour for something that they should have been paid hundreds of dollars an hour for, right? It's uh, whoever yeah. brought that over in the beginning, it, it's just wrong. So if people learn... And, and a lot are, of times it's women too, right? Oh, mostly women, actually, yeah. mostly women. And, yeah. and if people, if the consumer would learn how valuable handwork is, then they will pay more. And the only way we can do that in today's world is, is again, to work together. I mean, you get together in a group, you blog together, you do farmer's markets together, you do small events together, you, you do everything together and you partner with people that are a little bit bigger than you are. So that like I spent my life trying to help the small artisan entrepreneur tell her story. We do not feature famous women. We feature the women whose name you've never heard and who you will probably mm -hmm. never remember, but <laughs> who have the right and have earned right recognition. To, yeah, thank you. To, I couldn't think of the right word. To yeah. tell their story and have their craft known. And um, so it's just, it's an educational process that is never ending, like everything else, right? You just do the yeah. best you can and, and um, hope people will understand. But um, I don't know if the arts will ever be as um, accepted or paid for. Of course, some are. Some artists receive huge amounts of money, but the yeah, vast majority do not. Yeah, yeah. it's huge. Are you going to feature some of those women from India? Wouldn't that be fabulous? We do. We do. Um, we feature um, all, many of the groups of 
women who have organized companies who um, bring in uh, goods that are mm. produced in India. When we went for a month, um, I went with April Cornell, actually, and we that was in the book days, and we did many books mm. on the artwork that was produced in India under her tutelage. Oh, so, wow, cool. I'm going to have to pick some of those up. I hadn't seen them yet. They're old. So. They're very old. <laughs> uh, well, if you dig around on the internet, it's amazing what you can find. And I have a wonderful, wonderful friend in the region that owns a used bookstore. She has over 100,000 titles on the main floor, another 100,000 in the back, and 100,000 in her house alone, it seems like. Um, what that kind I go of and title? I, what kind of title? Everything. She owns a used bookstore, and she it, it's amazing because she... Her bookstore is the Cupboard Maker Books. You can find her online. Her name is Michelle Herring, and she owns an old boat warehouse um, right down the road from me. Amazing, wonderful woman. She's got two master's degrees, one in like American history and one in women's history, I believe. And she's just phenomenal. You go into her store. It's in this old boat warehouse, you know, cement floors, high ceilings, a little bit drafty, but just lined with rows and rows of used books, everything. And you'll say, hey, Michelle, do you have blah, blah, blah? She'd be like, yeah, uh, go down the third aisle on the left. No, no, down a little bit further. Look down on the bottom, mm -hmm, down to there. Or, you know, no, my last one just went out. She's just amazing. And she has oh, titles wow. from way back because she buys estate sales. She goes to estate sales and buys entire libraries. So I, uh, I need to feature her. her. Oh, she's phenomenal. <laughs> I can hook you up with her. Michelle Herring. I would she's love amazing. that. Yeah. Yeah, no, you gotta, I would love that. I'll give her your contact information or your you her contact information after our, our okay. interview. Next question. Automate and amplify. So we've got this system, the artist appeals, creating art, creating a voice and a brand, then creating a product. We talked a little bit about that. And how do you present that product? Then we talked about educating your audience to the benefits of handmade. And then finally, the last couple of letters, amplimate, amplimate, automate, <laughs> and amplify. I'm smushing together automate and amplify. Um, Good job. How do, you, <laughs> yeah, how do you kind of amplify your reach and automate things so that it's not overwhelming? You've done so much and there's so much to be done. And when you're doing outreach and educating your audience, you know, you talk about partnering with people, which is really kind of the term. Uh, some people talk about influencer marketing. Um, I think you're way before that term. But how do you automate some of this stuff and set it in motion so that you don't get overwhelmed? Um, is there any favorite methods like softwares, new apps, or or old school stuff that you use to to keep track of everybody and 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 how how do you manage all that? Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd all say that. <laughs> and I'm not a techie, so it's all old old school. But that's fine. The, re the reason um, it's it is that partnering thing again because um, and with magazines, it's a whole lot easier. My, I mean, we work with a team of we do um, four titles, 20 magazines a year, and we only have a team of six. Right. Well, how so, do you keep track of all those people? I mean, old school sometimes is the best. So is there a paperwork it, system or? I have one. I mean, or it's, they kind of take care of themselves, especially with magazines, because it's issue in and issue out, right? 
So I only have to take care of about 20 women at a time. Okay. And they kind of take care of them. Well, (laughs) and they take care of themselves because they write their own stories and their own words. Uh So we give them the deadlines and um, everybody wants to tell their stories. So 95% of them meet their deadlines right on time. And they send in the information and then we pass, I pass it through to um, my managing editor who um, makes sure everything's there and she gives it to the editor who proofs it and she gives it to the layout person and it comes back to me as the final check and then we send it to the people to approve and then we print it and then we go to the next group. So okay. they really do take care of themselves because... We're giving the opportunity. We don't edit their work. I do correct their spelling, which I think is really important, but I don't correct their punctuation and their grammar. Because oh, really? I feel, uh-huh, I feel like when you're storytelling, you, the story should be told in the person's own words. Mm-hmm. So if they have broken English because they're European or if their grammar is not perfect because, you know, they're, they were raised by their grandparents and are not educated in Ivy League schools, we just leave it so that we you feel like you're sitting at the kitchen table actually having a conversation with a new friend. And mm. I don't want it edited perfectly. So um, mm. they when when they're vested and they know that you're working as hard as you can to tell their story, they take care of themselves. Mm. And so I don't have a lot of that that you might think. It's really pretty streamlined. Okay. Well, how about, and how do you market the magazine? Like, how about reaching out as, as, uh, as a magazine? How do you amplify and market your publication? Well, we, um, of course, are in all of the major stores. We're the highest grossing magazine at Costco. And we're number two in our category at Barnes & Noble. And that is phenomenal. Course- Congratulations. That's so cool. Thank you. For an indie magazine, it's a really big deal. Yeah. And we, my publisher does pay for like um, cash wraps, which means you see the magazine at the checkout stand and, and um, we pay for our place on the shelf. He does do that. But as so far cash as- cash wrap is sort of like getting in the impulse candy section by? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's candy so, for crafters. It is. Exactly. And then- because we feature 20 or so different women in each magazine who are passionate about the magazine and what they have put in there, they are our best grassroots advertisers, right? right. They promote the magazines on all their sites and their Instagram sites and in their blogs because they're really proud to be part of it. So we have be? a real, yeah, right? So we have a real grassroots kind of advertising system. You know, I have never paid a dollar for advertising in my entire life. Wow. That's incredible. That's so cool. (laughs) So good or bad, smart or not. But um, I just feel like if you have a good product, then, then it will swell from the ground up. So licensing and contracts, are there any experiences or stories or any advice you'd like to share about the licensing process or the types of contracts you use or find essential? I hate contracts. <laughs> um, and, and I quit using them for a while because I got in a contract really? dispute. And, and the, the thing about contracts is the only, re, the only people that contracts are good for are the people who can afford to defend them. 
Mm. You know, because if you get a contract dispute with somebody like, you know, somebody larger like my publisher or something like that, which I never have, but if you did, I can't afford to go to court against him, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I use my contracts and and they're expensive. I have more lawyers for a small company than anybody I know. But um, I use them kind of as a as a roadmap, if you will, or so that we know the expectations of each company are known mm-hmm. so that you know what is expected of you and the other company knows what you're expecting of them. And right. so you have some kind of a, a guideline. But the reality is, is that if a big company changes their mind, you just have to go into it knowing that if you walk away, it's okay. You know, because if something goes sideways, which it does a lot, mm. then you have to be able to think, okay, I can't, I can't spend, you know, $100,000 or more because most companies, most contracts are litigated in the state where the company is, which is not where you are, ah. right? Especially when you're licensing. So like I'm in Utah, I've licensed probably with almost every big manufacturer in the country over the last 40 years. And they're all in New York or Atlanta or Chicago or LA or wherever they are. So if I want to fight what's going on because I don't like it, then um, I can't. You just can't afford it. You just have to. Yeah. And you have to hire a lawyer that's, that's certified in that state and you have to educate them. It's just not worth it as a small company. So I go into it thinking if I make if I do well, that's great. If it goes sideways on me, I am very sure that I do not invest much more than my time mm-hmm. so that if I lose or or invest more money than I have, I'm, I'm not a gambler. I'm right. pretty conservative. I've always financed my own companies. I've never borrowed money wow. to do that and finance so, my own events. So, so smart. Wow. I, I'm not sure it is smart. I think if I were smart, I think if I were better with money or smarter with money, it just terrifies me to owe somebody a lot of money. Yeah. So if I can afford to do it, I do it. And if I can't, I don't. That Great. Easy. Great advice. And so really you do use contracts, but you use them as a roadmap and you don't rely on them for conflict resolution. Correct. Because a big company or another company will insist that you have a contract, right? So yeah. you have to do that, but you can't, you, you can't use it as an end all to protect yourself. Right. So don't rely on it for, for protection, but have it there as a roadmap so that you don't need protection. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And get a lawyer, get a oh, lawyer, yeah. you know, I mean, if you can't afford a lawyer, you can't afford to go into the deal. Oh, $1,000 on a lawyer retainer is the best money I ever spent getting a, a copyright attorney and that retainer was the best money I ever spent. She's great. Yeah. You so, have to. Yeah. So success, what does success look like for you, Joe? How do you measure it? We as women, I think, tend to go, go, go. And sometimes we don't stop to celebrate the, the small successes. So we need to stop and take that time to measure success. What, what does success look for? like for you? And, and what do you think is your, maybe your biggest accomplishment or the thing that you're most proud of? Um, I think that's a really um, volatile, important, valuable question for everybody to ask themselves, because especially in this day and age where 
Um, the world is so small and there's so much information out there. Everybody compares their success to everyone else's. Right. And when you and when you read about it online, everyone is a huge success. Mm. I mean, it's like I will never be one of the 50 most powerful women in America. And I will never be president of a billion dollar company. And when you see those kinds of things, you're kind of turn around, you have a tendency to turn around and look and think, I should be doing more or better or bigger or, you know, whatever it is. And you kind of get in your own way. And it's taken a while. um, But I do measure my success by the letters that I receive from the women we feature and the women who read our magazines, who write heartwarming, thankful letters about something that made their day better, or help them take the next step forward, or whatever it is. And then last month, um, the magazine industry has an association called the MPA. And every year they choose um, the hottest launches, um, hottest magazine launches of the year. In 2018, there were 740 magazines launched in the U.S. And our four magazines were nominated as four of the top 13 and where women work received the number one hottest launch of 2018. Wow. Which was, thank you because we compete with Condé Nast and Meredith and Time Warner. I mean, we compete with all the big guys, right? And it was hilarious because I was sitting at a table and when they announced it, I could hear people, all the big publishers had giant tables, right? Full of, all their important people. And I could hear people say, now who is she? <laughs> oh, that's it was hilarious. So, that was a great you know, story. I, yeah, no, it was a big, big moment. And that was just February 5th. So after 43 years, I think as a, yeah, as a single event or something happening, I think that was it. The recognition of magazines that I had conceived myself and worked my heart out on um, were number one. So I'm good with that. Oh, congratulations. That's so phenomenal. And I think it's amazing to hear that you even have looked at people online and these massaged social media presence and been like, oh, I should be doing more. When, you know, you are phenomenal. We look at you and go, oh my God, look at this this resume, <laughs> this this body of work you've created is phenomenal. Yeah, you're never as famous in your own backyard, right? You right. always think you should be bigger, better. It's like, why in the hell didn't I think of that? You know, so yeah, um, yeah it's just, we all do it to ourselves. Everybody does it. You know, it is what it is. So you just have to keep your perspective. Yes, yes. Are there any books? that you would recommend to people? Are there any books that have really inspired you or that maybe you give away as gifts or that you just think really deserve a moment of accolade or recognition? What are your favorite books? Okay, so you're going to laugh at this, right? (laughs) (laughs) I read read so much content um, for the magazines to educate myself for the magazines that I don't read a great deal of fiction or things like that. And what I am a lover of and a huge collector of is those children's books 
that are kind of geared towards adults. You know, I mean, I because I think I want to be the person before I die who in very simple and a very simple language with very simple pictures can convey a message that will change someone's life. Oh. I mean, and so I have Compendium is my very favorite publisher of all time. I love those guys. Uh-huh. And they produced this series of three books. It's called What Do I Do With a Problem? What Do You oh, Do With a Problem? Yeah. What? Yeah, right? What yeah. Do You Do With an Idea? Uh-huh. And I love, I mean, I read them all the time. It's crazy. And I. those are the ones, those are the gifts that I give to and all my friends. what you do friends. with a concept, right? Is that the third one? Right. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, What You Do With a Concept. Oh, I love it's, them. I have two little little boys, uh, three and seven, and I love those books for them. I love them. Yeah. And I love them for me because I think it's so straightforward, right? It's like, okay, take it down to the lowest common denominator and, and what are, what's the deal, right? And then there's a saying that um, I started using. It's what would you attempt to do if you could, knew you could not fail? Mm. I mean, because when you work as hard as we all do and you're buried in so much information, I mean, I have to take it down to the very, very lowest point and look at myself and think, okay, if I knew this was going to be a huge success, would I do this? Mm-hmm. Would I invest my time and, and money in this? And because you have to so believe in yourself, right? And you lose your perspective so quickly. When I, I read every business magazine and book on the market, mm. and sometimes I get so lost in them, and then you can't remember who wrote what. Right. After you read the 15th one, it's like, I don't know who said that. But um, so it's just, you know, I keep it pretty simple and and it makes me smile and it gives my perspective. Oh, I love that. And they have the most beautiful artwork, too. Oh, they're amazing. That group is amazing. They are amazing men. Have you seen Sean Tan's work? He's a children's illustrator. He's made some incredible books as well. A little bit more edgy, but his work. Oh, yeah. He did The Lost Thing, which they turned into a short animation. Uh, Some of his books are a little bit more edgy. Um, The Red Tree and, um, you know, there's one with rabbits that is almost like a parallel of the uh, colonization of Australia in a kid's book form. It's a little disturbing, actually. It's a little bit sad, but the artwork is just like blow your mind. I will go look him up for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really cool that you love kids' books and and those conceptual <laughs> works, and I do too. They are much yeah, deeper, they, I think. They're than they genius. Should. I mean, they're genius. Yeah. It's why I collect. I collect. I have an enormous collection of greeting cards. Oh. Because I think to convey an emotion in like five words or less <laughs> with the right picture. Is some because what I know about being in the book and the magazine business uh-huh. is that it's really easy to convey a message in a thousand words. Mm. It's really, really difficult to convey a message in 10 words. Oh, isn't that the truth? And so the, the children's book guys and the greeting card people are geniuses at it. Yeah. Wow. Very good. You know, there's um, a quote from Dr. Seuss that I just used in yoga the other day, and it's a great one. It's, uh, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself in whatever direction you choose. And every time I read that book to my sons, I think, 
how deep is that? <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> exactly. Those guys are geniuses. I mean, they really are in the purest form, I think. I mean, I just, I am so envious of people who can do that. Yeah. Because it's not easy. To turn a phrase so simply and convey so much. And that people love it enough that they remember it and repeat it over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Right? How do yeah. you display your greeting cards? I have a huge, well, I have a huge like um, inspiration board. Uh-huh. It's large and um, there some of them are on there. And then what I do when I'm looking for a new idea or I'm overwhelmed or I'm whatever it is I am, I take um, everything off my inspiration board and I go through my um, boxes. I have beautiful copper boxes with all my mm-hmm. cards in. Copper. And then I go through and, and put, well, my whole studio is copper. It's the metals. Cool. It's copper and silver and brass. Cool. And so, yeah, I love my studio. It's my happy place. I want to see it. Um, has that been in the magazine? <laughs> that just sounds gorgeous. Yeah, it has. It's been in Cook, actually. Okay. So, um, but I, um, so then I go through and read them all and put up all the ones that are relevant for whatever I'm experiencing today, right? Ah. Because everything changes. One day you need to be inspired. One day you need to calm yourself down. Uh-huh. One day you need to take, you know, better care of yourself. It doesn't, I mean, every day is different. So when I'm having one of those days, I can just go through my greeting cards and put up those that are relevant for, you know, the next couple of days. And it's, it's therapeutic and it's instant gratification. I can take them all off. I can clean it up. I can put all new ones back. It makes me happy. You know, and then uh-huh. I just go on my way. Great. Kind of like meditating for me. Yeah. I don't know, you know. Do you meditate? No. <laughs> because my mind wanders. I've tried. I really, really have tried. And I've decided that the kind of meditation for me is like, it's, it's looking at beautiful photography. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's looking at my greeting card collection. It's going through some of my books because... It takes my mind away from what it is that you meditate to take your mind away from, ah. to calm yourself mm-hmm. down, to get into a quiet place, to do all of those kinds of things. And just sitting there and thinking, I can't control my mind enough. I think I might be 80. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I think if I would have been 12 today, I would definitely be on medication. <laughs> but um, I, but so for me, looking through beautiful picture books, you know, looking at people's artwork, that is my meditative moments. I love it. That's great. So awesome. Is there anything else that you feel um, people should know or think about? Or is there anything you want to give a shout out to? Oh, my list is so long. I mean, there are so many people. I I the I don't know. Have you seen our new magazine, um, the last issue of Where Women Work? I put an augmented reality video on the cover. Oh and, no, um, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, oh well, go get you it. can. Yeah, and you can go on the website and click on the magazine cover and see that too. But I did an augmented reality video, which actually I know that five year olds are producing videos, but <laughs> this one put almost pushed me right over the edge. Because it was so far out of my comfort zone, but I felt like that I needed to stay relevant in a print format 
Yeah. So I felt like if we put an augmented reality video on the cover, which is so hot right now. Yeah, AR, all the things. Right? That the younger generation would take a look at it and think, oh my, you know, they're doing something that I can get behind and then we'll build on it and add more as the magazines go. But I had to try one. And I'm really proud of what we did. None of us knew what we were doing. We're all artists, right? Yeah. And we had not a clue. So I I call out for that. I think I'm very proud of all of us. You should be. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's fun. So innovative and forward thinking and it's so cool. (laughs) One of those things that in the middle of the night you think, oh my, that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been wanting to do AR myself for our packaging, but you know, What's what software or company did you use? Um, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I changed twice, and I would be happy to tell you that when I go look it up. I just worked with an individual. I had a no worries. I had a person that I worked with, right? That was about all I could handle. He handled the whole technical part. Oh, that's and cool. I, and I took care of the other part because I, I, I don't want to know anything about the technical part. Well, actually, that's a great question is like, how do you find people to work with that are so far out of the realm when you need technical help? Like, do you use Fiverr or Upwork or how do you connect and outsource? Um, So, you know, how do you delegate? It's the community that I've built. So Um, like when I needed somebody to do an augmented reality video, I just sent an email to, you know. 40 or 50 women that I've worked with. Oh, that 40 or 50? Might... That's all. <laughs> well, I mean, you think over the years, I've probably featured 10,000 women, right? I, I mean, true. so Brilliant. I have a huge, I have a huge community. So when I want to go off into something that I know nothing about, I look at the women who I think might know mm-hmm. and I send out a call. And then if they don't know, they know somebody, right? Mm-hmm. So I always get a personal recommendation. I oh, never work asked. with somebody that somebody doesn't know mm-hmm. somewhere down the line. Yeah. So no, I use no online resources at all. I believe in personal recommendations. I'm with you on that. They are some of the best. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. So, Thank you, Joe. This has been oh such a pleasure and so informative. And I think people are really going to get a lot of value from this interview. Well, it's my honor. I can't. I can't believe that anyone would want to listen. I mean, I'm just like you, you know, just like all the ladies out there just working one day at a time trying to get through the maze, right? But it is always an honor and I'm always happy to help and to share and do anything I can. Oh, well, thank thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And I learned a lot of new things today. Oh, great. (laughs) I mean, I learned how to use Chrome and I learned how to do a podcast. And I learned hey, we're always learning, aren't we? <laughs> always know. learning. We are. It's true. Thanks for teaching me. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> well, that's it for the Artist Appeals. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed recording it. I just love talking with all these artists and business people. It's phenomenal. And I've learned so much. I hope you've learned something too. You can get more information You can check out some of the links that we talked about in these podcasts at theartistappeals.com. That's theartistappeals, A-P-P-E-A-L-S.com. Thanks and have a good one.